but the truth is I'm not. So anyway, it's great to be with you. Uh, and uh, Happy New Year. We're into the new year, as you all know that. And uh, it's always an exciting time to kind of under or to begin to think about what this new year is going to be like. As uh, you probably have been noting that uh, over there in Washington, D.C., in the District of Columbia, there's been a bit of activity in regards to the new Congress. And uh, it is quite uh, historic. And as you understand my work uh, in terms of ministry to state under Mission to North America is to develop relationships with these people in Congress and their staff uh, and those that serve them, as well as people uh, in the administration and agencies. And we, over the years, have done Bible studies with uh, those who are in these different areas of our federal government. And it really is a challenge, but it's also a great privilege. And we've been here since 2003 and have seen how the Lord continues to develop the, the ministry in a way that we really would not have anticipated when we came after being uh, in Oklahoma City for 20 years, where I pastored Heritage Presbyterian Church. And it was during those years that I realized that God was calling not just me, but I believe the Presbyterian Church in America to develop specific ministry, uh, intentional ministry to people in government, Washington, D.C., of course, the national capital, but also state capitals and in international capitals. So uh, very much appreciate your prayers, appreciate your encouragement, and thank you for the uh, opportunity to be here with you this morning. I'd like to turn your attention to the book of Matthew. So it is a little bit different than what you find in your bulletin. And has already been brought out. Uh, there's been some changes this past week. And so we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through the end of this section, verses 34. And as is your custom, would you please stand with me as we read this portion of God's word? Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the fields grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith, so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you speak to us. 
And as we come into your presence today and as we worship you, it is our privilege to know you, to know you by your spirit that works within our lives, that has, uh, that has lifted the, the, the burden, the blindness, the, the darkness that has kept us from seeing, that has transformed our hearts, the living hearts, the hearts that are no longer stone, but living and active and receptive to your word. And so we need to hear from you. And we thank you that you have spoken to us through your word. And this morning, especially this passage here in the book of the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6. So we pray that your spirit now would enable us to understand this passage and to apply it to our lives. We ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Part of my work is to help develop uh, teams of people. And a number of years ago, I was on my way to New York to have a meeting with someone that I thought maybe would be interested in being part of Ministry to State. And so I took the train from Union Station, as I'm sure many of you have, and, and I was expecting to be in New York uh, basically by breakfast. It was an early morning train. It left something like 5 or 5.30, one of those crazy times, and I'd gotten up early, uh, left the house, and where we live in Adams Morgan, if you're familiar with that part of town, it's you know pretty congested, and uh, especially this time, Uber wasn't quite as popular as the taxi, and the only way I can catch a taxi is to walk a couple blocks from my home where you have Columbia and 18th Street, and there's a lot more activity, and even like four o'clock in the morning, you can find a taxi. And so I was anticipating that, but I'm also a little bit aware, I'm also very much aware that uh, it's early in the morning, it's dark, and I'm by myself. And so I know, like, if there's anybody walking towards me or walking behind me, and as I was on Columbia walking towards 18th Street, I noticed that it wasn't somebody walking, but it was three men on a bike. Now, have I shared a story with you before? This is not the tractor story. Someone reminded me when I got here about the tractor story. This is, not the, this is not a field. This is a street. Anyway, so I thought to myself, wow, it's like 4 o'clock in the morning, and uh, there's three guys on bikes. Why would three guys be on bikes 4 o'clock in the morning, right? And your mind begins to create these scenarios, and all of a sudden I realized that you know, uh, this could be a problem because it's just me. There's nobody else out on the street. It's very quiet except these three guys that are coming towards me on these bikes. And so to be honest with you, I did begin to be a bit worried, a bit concerned. And I had to start thinking about the different scenarios. What was I going to do if, in fact, it was their intent to cause some kind of harm in my life? I don't have a weapon, you know. I don't carry a gun or knives or anything of that nature, maybe I should run. Maybe I should think about like going in the opposite direction. But it was too late. They were coming too quickly. So all I could think about was, Lord, you know, help me through this time. And, but yet in my spirit, I was very concerned. And I thought, as long as they pass me, and they don't say anything, you know, no comments or whatever, I'll be fine. And sure enough, they passed me, but one of them made a comment. I don't know what he said. All I know was 
that it caught my attention, and I thought, that was not good. And next thing I know, as I looked over my shoulder, they were turning around and coming back towards me. Three guys on bikes. It's 4 o'clock in the morning. It's dark. There's nobody else on the street. And now I'm going to be honest. I'm worried. I'm thinking, this is not good. And just as the one literally comes up to me, and the very next sentence, I'm ready to say to him, you need to leave, or you know, something, right, of, of, of force, uh, verbally, it's all I had. He grabs me, gives me a big hug, and he says, Chuck, it's Walter. And I was like, I was shocked. Walter, I thought. It's Walter. Walter is one of the managers at the pizza shop a, a block away. And he and his three comrades, so to speak, had just finished closing the pizza shop because in Adams, Morgan, they served pizza until like 3 o'clock in the morning. So they had cleaned up and they were on their way home. And Walter is this wonderful, wonderful friend at the pizza shop who will often give you like the best discount you can ever imagine, and when you're there waiting for your pizza, he wants to give you some cold drink from the, re- from the refrigerator, and he just goes on and on, and now he's hugging me, and I'm like melting, you know, that I'm not being stabbed or, you know, whatever, and I'm not being robbed, and he's just telling me how grateful he is to see me, and he's asking me about Debbie and my wife and all these kinds of things, and it's four o'clock in the morning. It took me a long time to get over that little episode. Eventually, I did make my way to New York, but... Maybe today, as you sit here, there's no Walter in your life. There's no hug. There's no warm embrace that is reminding you of a friendship. But there is something stirring. There's, in a sense, three men on a bike, and they're coming back towards you. And you're sitting here this morning, and you're thinking, I just don't know how I'm going to get through this. And the and the blanks might be filled in, I don't know how I'm going to deal with my financial issues. I don't know how I'm going to deal with this part of my marriage, or the relationship that I have with my children, or the absence of relationships that I have with my children. I don't know how I'm going to find a job, or the job that I have How am I going to go in there one more day or go online or however you do your work, whether it's from your bedroom in pajamas or you actually get out of the bedroom and you go to work, however your work is, but you're concerned, you're worried about what's happening. Or maybe it's something to do with health or, I don't know, the list goes on, right? And let's face it, when you get up in the morning, When I wake up in the morning and you ask yourself the question, what is it that you're thinking about? So often, it's about this, some part of this list of things in our lives that we are tempted to become anxious about, worried about, concerned about, that seem to haunt us, that speak to us. I know what my list looks like. And I'm sure you know what your list looks like. And so the question is, do we apply Matthew 6 to that part of our lives? Are we 
intentionally thinking about what the scriptures remind us about when it comes to our thought life, when it comes to anxiety, worry, etc. Are we oriented, that is, towards what Matthew 6 teaches us, what our Lord has taught us, or do we, in essence, say, no, I'm going to just let this control my life and my thinking and every aspect of my being? The scriptures speak to us about this issue of anxiety and worry over and over again. I think about Psalm 69, where we're told, Save me, O Lord, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. I have come into the deep waters. The flood engulfs me. I am worn out calling for help. My throat is parched. My eyes fail looking for my God. But I pray to you, Lord, in the time of your favor and your great love, O God, answer me with your sure salvation. Is that part of your response to the three men on bikes, so to speak, that are maybe coming after you right now? And then we could go to so many other passages, right? And so what we want to do this morning as we look at, again, Matthew chapter 6, is to be asking the question, am I, am I a person who is in pursuit of gospel peace? The gospel peace that this particular passage speaks about. And as you think about the passage, you're reminded that one, that one of the things that Jesus speaks about here is the imperative in regards to your thought life. Secondly, is the importance of observing what I'm going to call uh, the, our environment. Or maybe, maybe we should call it general revelation. Meaning the presence, that, that is the, the marks that are around us, so to speak, in regards to God's presence how he speaks to us through his creation. And then thirdly, the focus that Jesus here here towards the end of the passage tells us that we need to be uh, involved in. As we deal with this pursuit of of gospel peace, do we have those three things in mind? So first of all, let's deal with the issue of healthy thoughts, of the this imperative that he talks about. I tell you, do not worry about your life what you will eat or drink, etc. Do not. He, he is, in essence, commanding his hearers that they are to be mindful of what they are mindful of, right? In other words, we like to think that we have total liberty to think whatever we want to think, whenever we want to think it, regardless that if it's within my mind, the thought, the thought patterns that I have belong to me. And I can do whatever I want with those thought patterns. And Jesus here is challenging that. He's instructing us that, that when, you deal, when, you, when you ask the question, where does self-control, where is it to be applied? That's certainly within our thoughts. And if you think about the gospel, and if you think about the epistle, that, that thought process, so to speak, that, 
uh, that line of thinking is all throughout the Gospels and the Epistles. When you think about, for, for example, Luke chapter 5, verse 22, in regards to Jesus healing the paralytic, when Jesus perceived that their thoughts were told, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Isn't it interesting that to some degree, we would say to ourselves, I govern my thoughts. I will, I will be the one who dictates what I think, when I think it, however, however it goes. It doesn't matter. And you may not say that out loud, so to speak, but how do you practice? What is your practice when it comes to your thought life? You think about 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? And again, we could go on from Hebrews chapter 12, or Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, that speaks about uh, joints and marrow and the judges, the thoughts and attitudes of the heart, speaking here about the word of God. Or Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart Test me and know my anxious thoughts. In verse 23 of Psalm 139. And the list goes on. When I think about my thoughts, I'm reminded, so to speak, that there are times where someone has said something about me or to me, and I don't appreciate it. And what happens? It kind of stays there, doesn't it? And it turns and turns. And you think about it. And you're like, oh, why would such a person say that? How wrong are they? And then you begin to build up sort of this case. And next thing you know, the offense turns into what? Internally, in terms of your thoughts, into bitterness. And that bitterness begins to turn. And you just, you're just so angry that such and such a person would say that about you or to you. And then next thing you know, the bitterness turns to hate. And then the hate goes in, et cetera, to other little, uh, uh, little levels and, and development, so to speak. And in some cases, maybe it's not uh, the offense from someone else. Maybe it's, it's simply the fact that, that you see something and you begin to want it. And it's not yours to want. It's certainly fine for you to have certain desires, but there are other desires that are totally wrong. And next thing you know, as you begin to really examine your thought life, you realize that there is very much a, a portion of, this, of your life that really is out of control. In this particular passage, Jesus isn't speaking about lust or coveting, etc., or hate or murder, etc., He's speaking specifically of the issue of anxiety. And so often, we give ourselves the license to be as worried and as anxious as we want without ever thinking about the fact that the scriptures tell us that we are to exercise self-control, that our thought life is not really our thought life. It all belongs to the Lord, just like the rest of us. And God wants us to be mindful of what we're thinking and under what circumstances. So if we are 
to be biblical and gospel-oriented in regards to a pursuit of peace, we will begin by saying to ourselves, I need to examine my thought life and own, and own when it is off and recognize that and not ignore it or give myself the license just to be any old way that I want, and especially in terms of the issue of anxiety and worry. And so, yes, uh, that needs to be the beginning. Secondly, secondly, the passage teaches us that we are to be observant of our surroundings. What I'm going to call general revelation. The fact that through God's creation, he is speaking to us. And I don't think that as Christians, people who have been regenerated, that we appreciate enough of our surroundings. So for example, do you really appreciate the fact that the world in which you live even though it may seem at times chaotic, yet it is incredibly orderly. And it comes in various forms of order. Look, you got here this morning. What time did you come? I don't know exactly when you came. I know when I was told to come, right? And as, and as the morning was unfolding, right, I was very much oriented towards making sure that I that I did my day, so to speak, that I got up at a certain time, that I had my breakfast. I do like breakfast. I had my breakfast. I got dressed. You can see I did pretty well, right? I, you know, I mean, right, I don't look totally like I just got out of bed. I look like there was some kind of, of uh, process that was followed. And every one of you here looks exactly the same way. And you were, you were following that same pattern that I was following, that got me here, so that here we are together, worshiping, in this one place, from different parts of the area, geographically, all dressed, looking, and you really do look great, by the way. I won't go any further with that, except to say that everyone here is very presentable, right? And, but did you, did you say to yourself, as you went through the morning, wow, Look at the order of life that in which I exist. You got in your cars. Most of them probably work. Maybe you bike here. Maybe you walk. I don't know. You follow the speed limit, which is another part of order, et cetera, et cetera. All those things are a reminder to you that this world is not just going off in some kind of random way and chaotic, whatever. And again, I understand the exceptions, there are the exceptions, but they are that. And so God wants us to focus upon a certain part of this creation that he's given us, and he he tells us to look. And he says in verse 26, Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. If that is how God clothes the grass of the fields, in verse 30, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? Will he not much more deliver to you what you need? Do you see the incredible evidence? Now let's, if we can, let's just unpack this. It's interesting 
not being someone who is scientific in, in my orientation. That's, that's not been my, my background. But it is interesting to note that Jesus wants you right now to think about, in a sense, the study of birds. I, I, don't re- I know that there's a, a technical name for it. I won't, I won't try to go down that path. That's not my orientation. But what we do know is that there are a lot of birds. And it's interesting that in the book of Leviticus, for example, in Leviticus chapter 11, verse 13, it lists a lot of these different birds in terms of, of their, their different kinds. Now, what we are told uh, in terms of what science tells us that there are a lot of different species of birds. Something like, if I understand uh, the study properly, at least 10,000 species of birds. 10,000 species. Not 10,000 birds, different kinds of birds, right? And maybe some of you have, have, have gone down this path. You know, you know exactly what some of these species are. Maybe the categories, et cetera. I don't... I don't know that. 10,000. Let's just take 10,000. About 10 years ago, two scientists decided to estimate the total number of birds on the planet. And the number they came up with was something like 200 to 400 billion individual birds. Now think about that. 200 to 400 billion birds. What does it take to feed one of these birds? I don't know the total answer, but what we are informed about is that approximately, in some cases, a bird will eat somewhere between a half or a quarter of their weight per day in whatever it is that they eat, seeds or what have you. A quarter to a half of their weight. Now that is proportionally an enormous amount of feed that they need. And so if you begin to calculate that, and again, these numbers I'm sure will, will just kind of melt in your mind, but if a, if a ton is 2,000 pounds, we're told that it takes 200,000 200, million tons of feed to feed these 400 billion Now, may I see the hands of those who have a dog or a cat or a bird? Okay. All right. Or a cow or a horse. Snakes. I don't know. Whatever. All right. You know, you know that it does cost you something to feed your cat or your dog, right? And it's not really cheap when you get down to it, in a way. Now, again, I know these numbers will melt in your mind. But you know you have to go to the store and you have to buy that that dog food, that cat food, which is manufactured someplace, et cetera, et cetera. Right? It's it's an expensive little endeavor. But think about all the birds that no one intentionally is out there producing their daily meal. It really is an amazing thing to think about that somehow. Every day, every day, they are well fed. You go out there and you see a little sparrow or eventually a robin or whatever. They're all fed. 
and you just take it for granted, and the world says, oh, that's just nature, etc. Don't think, don't think anything more about it than that. No. Jesus said, I want you to stop. I want you to refocus your mind from being so consumed about how those bills are going to get paid or what's going to happen to your life or when you're going to get a job or whatever it is, and I want you to think about the birds and who feeds them and how regular it is and, and incredible it is that they're fed. And then, of course, he goes on to the flowers. And I, I don't need to go into all that, but there are something like 400,000 types of different flowers that are out there that are dressing the, the fields of the, of the world, and the list goes on and on. Our God is an amazing God that has created this world and this universe, and it is kept on track in a way that is far beyond our ability to comprehend. But it is important for us to allow our thoughts, instead of being consumed by the three bikers coming back to us, that it would be consumed by thinking about, yeah, how is it that billions and billions of birds can be fed every day? And they do the things that they do. And they don't have to go to barns or to Costco's or to Publix or Safeways or whatever the store that you want to go to. They don't have to ever go there. They just live out their little lives in kind of bliss because their Heavenly Father takes care of them. And he will take care of you. Maybe not the way you want. Maybe it won't happen exactly, but you do not have to be anxious. And then the third, the third issue that Jesus brings out here, besides the fact that reminder to us that we do not own our thought life, that we have a world that constantly speaks to us about how great our God is, then the third thing, of course, is the pursuit of the kingdom. For the pagans run, in verse 32, after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek the three guys on the bikes, the, the pursuit of the right kind of house or clothes or car or lifestyle, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus is not telling us not to be concerned about it, not to plan, not to go to school. Mom, Dad, I don't need to go to school. I just heard Chuck talk about the fact that I don't need to worry about my future, so I'm just going to hang out here with the birds. And uh, No, 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 no. That's not, what I, that's not what we're saying, right? We all know that. We we know that we have to get up and go to school, and we have to get up and eventually go to work, and et cetera, et cetera, and somebody's got to clean those dishes, and we've got a lot of work to do, and the fact that we are able to do that is significant. No, we, we are to go about our lives and take care of things that need to be taken care of, but ultimately, Jesus is saying, ultimately, it is about the kingdom and the righteousness of God. Ultimately, it is about the spiritual value. 
It is about a kingdom that we are to be seeking. And you may not think about it this way, but let me tell you, my friend, when you come and you worship this morning like you are, and you've put aside everything else in your day and, and in your week, as you have, to come here and to be part of an, op- uh, to be part of an opportunity to acknowledge the existence of God and the grace of God and the love of God through Christ and to worship him, etc. You are about kingdom values, about the building of his kingdom. When you pray for different ministries, and I know from my brother Chris how much you have supported and encouraged him, and it means an enormous amount. When you think about the need for the gospel at the University of Maryland. And you say to yourself, we're not just going to think about it, we're going to pray for RUF at Maryland. We're going to support RUF in Maryland. We're going to support missionaries that are on the other side of the world, maybe in Japan or maybe in Ukraine. And we're going we're to not only support them financially, we're going to pray for them. And when we have opportunities, you are an opportunity to encourage them. You're going to do that. You are involved in the pursuit of the kingdom that Jesus speaks about here. You are involved as a congregation, as an individual couple or family, in in seeing the righteousness of God proclaimed. That in every way, everything that he does is absolutely perfect and right. And the righteousness of Christ is ours through Christ. That's the focus that Jesus wants us to have. And he says, that is what you are to seek after. Now, we could talk a lot about what it means to seek. I'll just close with this little, it's another story. So I, I apologize. Like, hey, he's got too many stories. Okay, well, this will be the last one for today. So one of the, one of the privileges that I have had over the years is to do Bible studies. And I can, I, I'll tell you right now, there is nothing more encouraging to me than to have the opportunity to sit down with people who are in various areas of government. In some cases, yes, it might be members of Congress, even like this past week, to, to hear them out, to, to pray with them, pray for them. In other cases, it's maybe somebody in the State Department. There was a little Bible study that I was a part of for many years, and uh, on this one I guess it was a Friday morning, or Friday uh, noontime. I was on my way. I was late, and I was really kind of disgusted with myself that I was running this late. I get off the metro at Foggy Bottom. It's winter. It's cold. I've got that long wool coat on. I've got this black scarf on. And I know that I've got to really hurry, meaning that when that, when that door opens of that metro car, I need to run. I need to run up those escalators and get down to the street and get down to the State Department to get to this Bible study. And so that's what I did. And um, the door opens, and I'm, I'm shooting out there. I'm running up the escalators, et cetera. And I'm down about maybe two blocks from the metro stop there in Foggy Bottom, you know, where George W. is, uh, the hospital. And I hear somebody calling me. It's not... It's not Walter and his three guys. I don't, I, don't, I don't really recognize the voice, except I think, oh, well, maybe 
maybe I heard that voice uh, just a couple of minutes ago. And, and uh, so uh, because it kept, because they were persistent, I stopped. And I turned around, and here was this guy, young guy, with my black uh, cashmere scarf that, that it was given to me for Christmas. I thought, oh, I, I guess I lost my scarf. And I turned around, and he said something really short like, uh, I don't know where you're going, but I hope you have a good day. And, and he hands me the scarf, and, and then I took it and I ran. And then, by the time I got to the State Department, I realized what had happened. And I thought to myself, oh, my. I really missed an opportunity to express my appreciation. Because when that door opened, I ran. And in doing so, the scarf flew off my shoulders and landed on the I guess the, the, the uh, platform of the metro, and then I took off. This guy then, seeing that, he picked it up. And I'm sure he probably said something to me, but I, I was too much of a hurry. But that meant then that he had to make a decision. Now, he could have just taken the scarf and done what? I just put it on the bench, right? You know, that's where you put gloves and hats and scarves and things like that. Or you may just leave it there, let people run all over it. Or maybe you might take it to the, the metro office there, you know, the little booth, whatever. But he didn't. That meant then, this is what, this is what kind of consumed my thoughts. In order to seek me, he had to run after me. Now, I have been a bit of a runner in my day. And so I ran, I ran up those escalators. I didn't just walk, I ran. And when I got to the turnstile, I went really quick. And then I went to the next group of escalators. And I ran up those escalators. And I was running down the street. And so I realized that this guy, the picture was this guy, he made a split-second decision to keep after me. So he had to run up those escalators, through the turnstile, up to another group of escalators, and then down the street as fast as he could to get me. Right to give me my scarf back. That's a picture of what it looks like to be seeking something, seeking a person who has lost his scarf. Do we have that same picture, so to speak? Is that same picture, in a sense, in our, in our minds as we are pursuing the kingdom of heaven and righteousness? That we are without... Uh, like there's nothing clearly that was going to deviate this guy from getting to me. I bet he, I bet at some point he thought, I'm going to catch up to that guy. I'm not going to let that old man beat me. You know, this was the guy that gave me the scarf. I'm sure was in his 20s, right? And I wish I had gotten his name. I wish I had taken him and gave him, you know, bought him a cup of coffee or a breakfast or something like that. He was young, right? But at some point in time, he's like, no, no, no. I'm, I'm putting everything else. All my schedules, all the, every, every other aspect of my life, I'm putting it to the side because I'm going to make sure this guy gets his scarf back. Do you have that kind of energy and focus when it comes to the kingdom and the righteousness of God? And Jesus is saying, that's, that's what it needs to look like. People who are so consumed, so consumed, by God's kingdom, 
and what that kingdom needs to look like, whether it be evangelism or teaching or, or, or children's ministry or women's ministry or whatever it may be for you, whatever your calling may be, whatever your gift mix is, that that's really what's consuming you. So as opposed to being so consumed with every other aspect of life, you get up in the morning and think, all right, I need to pray for so-and-so, and I need to pursue so-and-so for the sake of the gospel. And I've got a neighbor that I need to befriend because I don't think they know Christ. And the list goes on because you are consumed in seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So my prayer is that through the gospel, we will be aware of our thought life. We will appreciate that bird the next time we see one. And we will think about Wow, look how that bird is dressed. And look how the bird is well fed. God cares more for me than that bird, as much and more. And the flowers of the field, God cares a lot about those flowers. He loves flowers, but he cares more about me than those flowers of the field. And there is a kingdom and righteousness that needs to be pursued for his glory. Pray with me. Father, thank you for giving us this morning. Thank you for giving us your word. I don't know. I don't know what it looks like for each one of my friends here this morning to be pursued by the three guys on the bike. I pray that they would experience the warm embrace and the welcome and the words that remind them of the gospel, to remind them that you care for them. So I ask God that you would help us, and I pray that you would be glorified. 